Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, September 22nd, 2023 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, Donald Trump campaigns in Iowa, abortion policy dominates the presidential primary, and wither the Democrats in Iowa's congressional races. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette and Cedar Rapids. With me this week, we have the full roster available, which is always great. We have Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Hello, Tom. Howdy. We have Lee Des Moines Bureau Chief Caleb McCullough. Hello, Caleb. Good afternoon. Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times is here. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Aaron. And Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal is with us. Greetings, Jared. Aaron, I'm I'm talking to America America here. Excuse me. (laughs) it's it's doubly fun one when I understand Jared's reference and B when it's genuinely funny like that one is that was fantastic mm-hmm. and finally Gazette columnist Todd Dorman is with us hello Todd howdy all right uh, man this was another one of these weeks uh, we've got some really good topics uh, things that happened this last week that that ended up on the cutting room floor of the podcast so uh, please make sure you're consuming everything. Uh, on your Lee and, and Gazette newspaper uh, websites and, and in the print edition. There's a lot going on um, and, and a lot to get to. And, and we could have done three podcasts this week, probably. But uh, uh, we do also understand that only so much of us a good, is a good thing. Uh, so we're trying to hit that sweet spot for you. Uh, first up this week, former and hoping to again be President Donald Trump returned to Iowa for a two-campaign event swing in eastern Iowa. Trump attended a caucus campaign organizing event in Maquoketa and then spoke at a rally in Dubuque. Our Sarah Watson was in Maquoketa for that event. So Sarah, give us some of the highlights, including some young campers out I saw from your story. Yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, so Trump was in Maquoketa. Um, He was at the Jackson County Fairgrounds and um, really used their People lined up starting as early as um, seven, eight in the morning and including two 17-year-olds who uh, camped out in their cars overnight and uh, cut school the next day um, to, to be first in line. But the funny thing was that they, even though they were the first people there in their cars, they were not first in line. Other people got to the line first. So, um, but, but so Trump, uh, there are organizers there, part of the Trump campaign who are handing out like commit to caucus cards and, and getting people's contact information, asking people to sign up to volunteer. And his uh, staff in Makokota really kind of focused more, mostly on um, urging people to caucus for him on January 15th and to tell their friends to caucus for him. Um, there are a lot of people there. So Representative Bobby Kaufman was there and asked like who had not caucus before and, and several dozen hands went up um, out of the couple hundred that were there. So um, that's interesting to be like an event. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Bobby Kaufman really used that as a way to say, Oh, look at all the new people Trump's bringing into the fold. Um, And so, and the other interesting thing is at some other Trump events, there are usually a lot of out of towners, but this one, I think probably because he had his event in Dubuque, it was really all the people that I talked to were locals, um, people from Jackson, Clinton, Scott, or um, other surrounding counties or in neighboring Illinois counties. So um, that was another thing that I found interesting, but his actual speech, he, yeah, like I said, urged people to caucus for him and then hit kind of his familiar highlights that um that he was the best thing to happen to Iowa farmers and uh, touting his policies on ethanol and uh, trade with China, um, you know, talking about how he wasn't going to, uh, you know, the 2020 election, how that uh, wasn't going to happen again. And he was going to 
win the Iowa caucuses and the election by a historic landslide was the words he used. Um, he said he, he promised to be back to Iowa five or six times uh, ahead of the caucuses. And, um, and he didn't talk very much about abortion, but that was, at least in Makokot, I should say, I think in Dubuque, he made a few comments about it, but he was kind of coming to Iowa at a time when um, uh, he had made some comments on Meet the Press about um, uh, calling a six-week abortion ban terrible, um, referencing DeSant Ron DeSantis' uh, uh, six-week abortion ban in Florida that he had signed. And obviously, Iowa also signed into law the fetal heartbeat ban. And so Governor Kim Reynolds um, then uh, on social media said that it was never a terrible thing to uh, support pro-life policies. But really, I asked a lot of people at the event what they thought about Trump's abortion stances, and nobody there was uh, really, really didn't care too much about what what Mr. Trump thought about uh, abortion, which I thought also was um, was interesting. Nobody really had that as their top policy priorities, and also nobody I talked to were really had uh we're considering many other candidates it was it was 100 percent trump yeah yep um and and uh, uh thanks for that sarah that was really good in fact it was so good um and and this is the freedom we have here on the on iowa politics podcast sarah just pretty much ruined my whole transition into my next segment she just took it all uh <laughs> but that's okay because she's absolutely right and that's that's what i want to talk about next is the, the trump talking about abortion blah blah, blah. sarah just said all that um uh, it, it, it's it, and, oh, no. and she's absolutely right this is why no, i should no, read no, the no, next no, thing no. on the on the script <laughs> now when now i know where to hide the uh important stuff from sarah if i if i ever need to in, in future scripts no no that's perfectly fine I, I say that kiddingly because that that you're right on the nose about um this being an interesting time that he came to iowa given what he said in that interview and, um, you know, taking a shot at Governor DeSantis, which uh, kind of picked off uh, Governor Reynolds um, as an innocent bystander. I, maybe not so innocent. Who knows what the intention was there? Um, uh, the, the other thing, interesting thing from that interview was Trump saying um, he, he plans to bring both sides of the abortion debate together, which, uh, just in case you've uh, not been aware of this, is something that literally nobody has done in literally half a century. Um, uh, and he claimed he would settle that debate by setting policy at a certain number of weeks of pregnancy. Uh, and he claimed that both sides will love him for it, um, of course, is, is as often the style of such pledges from the former president. He didn't say how many weeks that will be exactly, nor did he say whether that policy will be federal law or set by the states. Lacking in some details, I think, is the uh, a way to way to put it. Um, Caleb, what did you make of, of those comments by Trump during the um, that interview? And, and to Sarah's point a little bit, um, do, do they do they matter at at this point in the campaign? Yeah, I mean, we might as well just like roll back the tape from the last time we asked, you know, is this a thing that sinks Trump's campaign? Because yeah, I think the answer is no. Um, at this point, you know, unless unless there's, you know, we see in the next few weeks polling show that, you know, he's losing some support. I don't think that I, you know, I don't have any reason to believe that it's going to hurt him too much. You know, some portion of his base is probably more anti-abortion than he is and is going to be annoyed, but, you know, they're going to have the, the rest of the things that they support Trump for and generally going to outweigh that. If abortion is already your kind of top voting issue, you're probably already looking at somebody like Mike Pence or Tim Scott 
or even Ron DeSantis. Or and so, right. Yep. right. And so it's not, you know, his 50 plus percent in Iowa doesn't seem like there's a whole lot um, to lose there. It, it's also worth noting um, the Des Moines Register poll that asked in August that asked about um, Iowa's six week abortion ban, you know, 58 percent of likely Republican caucus scores said they thought it was a good policy. And, and that's a good, that's a healthy majority. But 30% said it went too far. And so it's not a, it's not a opinion among Republicans that, you know, is non-existent. It is, you know, something that right. people um, do think. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't know if, I think that, you know, something that could obviously, as, as Sarah said, it drew some backlash from um, Governor Reynolds. And I think that if she, in these next few months, if we see her being, more actively antagonistic toward Trump or even endorsing somebody like Ron DeSantis, that could uh, that could maybe tip the scales. Um, it could be a boost um, to DeSantis. But uh, right um, now, p- parentheses, Caleb coughs in Bloomberg. Right. Uh, yes, that, that is yeah, scoop, <laughs> scoop from Bloomberg today. Now, Reynolds spokesperson, I think in that story did say she hasn't made a decision. But yeah, Bloomberg reported <laughs> with some anonymous sources that that is something that she is uh uh, leaning toward, but I don't. I can't verify them. So right, right. Yeah, I, I, I would say too that I don't think that I also don't think the comments aren't going to matter because unlike every other person that's running against Trump, he can actually say that he got the judges in that made overturning right. Roe v. Wade possible. And so in that case, your record matters a lot more than what your rhetoric is. Yep. That's and a, that's I will a really also good point. say. Oh, sorry. I was to your point, Jared. The um, uh, uh. Representative Luana Stoltenberg, who's from Davenport, she was just elected to her first term. She is she is very, very um, anti-abortion and she endorsed Donald Trump. So and she spoke at the event and credited him with the um, with basically with overturning Roe v. Wade. And, And to your point, Sarah, Representative Stoltenberg was the one who back during this past session was calling for and signed on to um the uh the life of conception bill um which never got any traction uh with the leadership because they went a different path to, to redoing the um six-week ban but representative soltenberg was one of those and and then here she and that and and look i i sarah touched on this too and 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 i agree i, I was gonna make the point and ask around one of the things that we always do when we cover caucus candidate events is you obviously ask which candidates um people are are supporting but um you often also ask what are the important issues to you in this primary and and it might surprise you to hear and and i don't know maybe other people have had other experiences but i don't hear abortion or life you know pro-life a a lot i mean it it comes up but not as near as much as i hear immigration uh the border and and the economy and 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 a few others i think it, it depends on the event that you're at so um to your point you're exactly right if you're going to um, these, um, excuse me, <clears throat> if you're going to, um, you know, these normal cattle call events, um, like, um, the Republican party of Iowa dinner or the roast and ride, um, you know, that's very much the response. But, um, when you're talking specifically to Iowa's, um, evangelical, uh, voters and faith leaders, like, if you're if you're at the you know family leader event or if you're at the faith and and, and family coalition, um, abortion definitely is at or toward the top of the list for for those voters and for those Iowa caucus voters. Um, I just remember talking to people at um, the, uh, the the family leader event and and um, you know I asked them 
what's the biggest issue important to you? And um, by far, abortion was the number one thing that they mentioned. Yeah, no, that's a good point, too. All right. Um, moving on to the congressional campaigns here in Iowa. We're now in late September and we are still without Democratic candidates, Democratic challengers in two of Eastern Iowa's typically competitive congressional districts. Uh, Republican incumbents Ashley Hinson in the new second district and Zach Nunn in the third are still unopposed at this point. And if that seems late to you, you are correct. It is later than when almost all non-incumbent candidates over the past decade have announced their campaigns with, with just a very few exceptions, <laughs> all uh, Republicans who uh, eventually ran against uh, Dave Loebsack, uh, who was sort of entrenched in his seat for a long time. So other than those few, this is later than anybody non-incumbent has gotten into the race since since 2014. Uh, Tom, you and I talked to a lot of folks about this for a story that ran this past weekend. Uh, and side note to listeners, please check that one out. Uh, definitely worth your time. Um, so uh, let's focus today, I think, on what's maybe the most interesting, which is the why. When when you talk to folks, Tom, what what did they say? Why are have there not been any Democrats to step forward in either of those districts yet? Were there any kind of common themes or answers that emerged? Um, there were. And um, I'll say that, um, I guess, the fact that we don't have a, a challenger um, against Zach Nunn in the third district, I think, is a little bit more puzzling than not having a challenger at this point um, uh, against Ashley Henson in the second yeah, district. I think and that's I say fair. That, and I say that just because Iowa's third congressional district is uh, definitely a more competitive district uh, in seat than the second district because, you know, it's, um, uh, you know, um, a, a different campaign cycle and, and, and a lot, it's more different running against a uh, two-term incumbent with Ashley Henson compared to a first-term incumbent with Zach Nunn um, who ended up, you know, winning that seat by, um, I think, less than a percentage point um, against Cindy Axney. So, you know, you have a first term incumbent that's, you know, the most vulnerable that they're going to be um, in, in a seat where they won by a very narrow margin. Um, but, um, you know, since I'm, I'm based here in, in the second district um, in, in eastern Iowa, um, most of my reporting um, focused on the, the second district and Ashley Henson and, and, you know, why it is we, we don't have a, um, a challenger for her yet. Um, so some of the things I heard, you know, publicly state and county party officials are saying they're having productive conversations with individuals who are considering running and they're prepping them for what's expected to be um, a grueling campaign. Um, privately, however, um, there are Iowa Democrats who um, are, are talking to national Democrats concerned about, you know, what type of national support is a candidate going to get, um, you know, from the DNC or the DCCC. Um, you know, there's a, because we're see, already seeing tons of outside um, money being spent in Iowa um, by conservative groups and conservative um, campaigns, um, you know, just to, by, by the factor of having all of these um, uh, Republican presidential candidates, you know, coming through Iowa, um, you know, with their campaigns and, and their messaging. And so there's a concern if I jump into this race, um, you know, am I going to have resources from the national party to be able to push back against some of that messaging? Um, and, you know, how 
how successful am, am I going to be? Um, so I talked to the chair of the Lynn County Democrats, um, and you know he he said that a lot of the people that they have spoken with and identified as potential candidates again, I've said that they're they're worried about how much outside help a Democrat in the district is going to get. Um, you know, Henson's campaign benefited from, um, you know, nearly $3.3 million in outside spending during the last campaign cycle, uh, mainly from ad buys by the Congressional Leadership Fund, which is the super PAC that's aligned with Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Um, and, you know, it stands to reason that Henson, again, is going to get a lot of outside help and support um, from conservative groups and, and from um, uh, Republican leadership in Congress. Um, and, 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 you know, so again, if, if you're a Democrat, um, you know, how are you going to be able to, to effectively, um, you know, compete against that? Um, and the, the other thing that uh, um, the chair of the Lynn County Democrats mentioned is, you know, if a candidate like Liz Mathis couldn't get it done last cycle, um, you know, a former um, state lawmaker uh, who has a lot of um, name recognition, name ID um, in the district, um, you know, a former um, uh, 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 TV, TV news anchor, yeah. Yeah, TV personality, news personality, thank you. Um, you know, what are the chances going to be of someone with less government experience, less name recognition, um, and especially when there's uncertainty as to whether um, President Joe Biden is going to be a helper, a hindrance to Democrats down ballot, right? And there's no statewide race with the Democrat at the top of the ticket this election cycle to help drive voter turnout and enthusiasm. So because of that, you know, that's a big challenge to a lot of people. And, um, and and local Democrats are saying that maybe that hill might be too high to climb at this time. Yeah, that that's a really good point. That top of the ticket thing. Um, uh, there's no race for the Senate or for the governor's office um, in this election. So the top of the ticket is the presidential race. And, and in Iowa, that's a better thing for Republicans than it is for Democrats. Um, good stuff, Tom. Um, real quick, um, from what I heard there, there, there are, and going back to the third district, there are um, a few people considering it, giving it serious consideration. Um, I, I don't, I can't remember if she's been asked on record. Has Cindy Axney ruled out round three yet? Uh, oh man. My, my sense I, is that she's not, but I can't remember if she is officially. Yeah. We, yeah, we weren't able to get a hold of her for this story. I don't no, think, no, um, no. and I can't, I think the register reached out to her for their story and I think she either declined comment or wasn't available. So I don't know that she's yeah. publicly said um, whether or not um, okay. she's, she's ruled it out. Um, another name um, that's been floated out there um, is uh, uh, Teresa Greenfield, right. um, the Democrat that ran against um, Joni Ernst for the U S Senate seat in oh man, yeah. 2020. Yes. Yep. Yep. That, yeah. She was in the pandemic election. Yep. Uh, and uh, did reach out to her. Uh, she declined to comment um, for the article. Um, she currently right now um, is working for the USDA and right. um, federal legislation. The Hatch Act, you know, prohibits her from engaging in any sort of campaign activity or, you know, discussions while in that position. Um, so, you know, that's not to say, yes, she's thinking about it. No, she's not. Um, we just don't know. But that's that's right. a name floated out there. Um, and I should mention that 
with respect to the third congressional district, um, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee has included that district as well as um, southeastern Iowa's first district um, in its list of 33 competitive uh, Republican held or open districts across the country that it seizes in play for the 2024 election yeah. cycle and is going to get involved. It does plan on, um, you know, um, making an investment, at least in that camp or that district or that seat. Yep. Yep. What what about any of the the folks that are in the state legislature? Like, why aren't we hearing more about any state legislature folks trying to run for Congress? There are some that come up. Um, Sarah Tron Garriott uh, from West Des Moines is a name I hear now. Now, it's more as as I say, a name that comes up. I'm talking about someone that people talk about as a as a hypothetical. This isn't a I heard that she's out there you know, talking to consultants and, and this and that. I, nothing, I have nothing to that level of information. I'm just talking about when you talk to people who follow stuff and they throw out names. Um, uh, that's one that I hear. And she's not interested. I did talk to her. And she has ruled it out. And they, she, has, uh, she, has, she has ruled it out. I did talk to her for our article, um, as well as uh, Jennifer Kahn first, um, the, uh, the House uh, Democratic right. leader, um, for Windsor Heights, um, they've both been floated as possibilities. They both said that they're focused on state level politics and trying to flip seats in the Iowa legislature. Yep. So there you go. Um, Todd, I wanted to ask you a question uh, and um, use our your wealth of historical knowledge and perspective here, which once again, I, I feel like we need a running, running tally of really polite, flattering ways I've called you old on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um and I asked this question for the story of the people that I talked to. And, and I, I mean, I, I'll be honest, I have a, a sense of it. I clearly gave that away when I introduced this, the section here, but I asked with an open mind, is it, is it too late for a challenger at this point? Are we getting to the, to the point in the campaign where um, it, it's going to be tough to mount a serious challenge? And I know that that sounds silly, a question to ask when we're still more than um, a, a year out from the general election. But the reality is that there's, a reason the candidates get into these things so early it's because you got groundwork to lay and campaign staff to hire and and you want especially if you're a little bit unknown you want to get out there and get your name in front of people so um the nice uh gentleman who's the um his name escapes me but it's in the story that the chairman of the polk county democrats ensured me that absolutely not it's not too late it, everything's fine because they're doing some of that groundwork laying for whomever eventually becomes the candidate. But I, I was curious to get your thought, Todd, and, and let's talk specifically about the third, because to Tom's point, that's the one that's, they're both competitive to a certain degree, but the third's far more of a toss-up. Are, are, are we getting to the point where it's too late for the Democrats anyways? Yeah, yeah we probably are. I mean, we're getting to the point where it's too late to mount a winning challenge. I think there probably will be candidates in those districts, but I mean, they're just going to be sort of, let's we we're uh you know we're the democratic party we need to give people a choice uh but yeah the money's going to be a problem the national involvement's going to be a problem uh maybe people don't want to run because being a member of the house of representatives right now sounds like a <laughs> a really miserable so, existence so for full context we're recording this thursday afternoon literally <laughs> moments after the news broke that the house republicans had to call it a weekend and, and give up on finding a budget agreement I, uh, I mean you know you're 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 one of what 400 and is it what is it 465 34 something like that 435 i think right? 35 yeah 435 
See, that's where I got 65, 34, carry the two, and <laughs> then you get it. We but, did, There's no math involved. In I was told there would be no math. Well, Todd, in, uh, your, day, in your day, there was only about 150, right? Oh, uh, just oh, joking, just now, joking. That was more direct. <laughs> At least I'm nice about in, it when I do it. <laughs> in my day, it was, they met in Philadelphia, and it was a much smaller room. But, um, you know, you, you got to – you got to be part of a big, big legislative body and you're a freshman and uh, you have to start raising money for the next campaign like 10 minutes after you win. <laughs> so I don't know. It's probably smart not to run, but I think someone will. It is, though, to start from scratch at this point is going to be fairly difficult given the already existing organizational problems of the Iowa Democratic Party and financial issues and and all of that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you can mount up. I mean, there's time to mount a, a, a challenge, but it, will it be credible? I, I'm I'm not sure it will. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that the that's why I asked that uh, question. It's just like I said that the candidates don't get in at those dates for no reason. You know, there's a reason they jump in in May, June, July, August, which is the kind of the window that almost all of the candidates of the past ten cycles have. Um, uh, when when we kind of made note of that the the vast majority jumped into the race between may and august of of the year before the election and and we're gonna be pushing october uh before we have someone uh here um so it's obviously getting uh late in the game all right uh but wouldn't it be be great if candidates didn't get into the race until like election year you know it's like i think about lyndon johnson announcing in (laughs) like january of 19 68 that he wasn't going to run again i mean it's like crazy to think about those campaigns when people used to get in you know four or five six months before the election and so but you don't even have have to to go that continuous campaign yeah you don't even have to go that far todd one of my favorite data entries when i was working on this story and i remember this was uh, monica vernon in the 2016 election in the first district announced her campaign on january 15th of 2000 15. I honestly don't even know if Rod Blum was sworn in yet. I, or I think he may have been for like two days and Monica <laughs> Vernon announced her campaign. For- yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and 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 it and it worked. Just ask Congressman yeah. Vernon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh goodness. Uh. <laughs> All right. Um, so so I said at the top, maybe just real quick, because we made decent time here. Um we had so much good stuff to talk about. I'm, I'm going to sneak in just a real quick mention and, and maybe it's more about just another reminder to go check out our stories. But if anybody has any uh, two cents to throw in on either of these um, and they kind of have the theme of open government and government transparency, uh, Caleb and I worked on it. And when I say Caleb and I, I mean, Caleb in all caps and lowercase I worked on a story um, uh, about the, the review that's taking place uh, over um, consolidating and eliminating some of uh, Iowa's state boards and commissions. And there's some interesting um, discussions and potential issues uh, that have arisen with those. Um, um, but, but our story was primarily about the process under which that review has taken place. And I think it's a story that's worth your time and, and is interesting uh, to see how that has played out. And, and, and there's some uh, in 30 seconds or less, Caleb, but it's fair to say there's some concerns about transparency and, and full participation. Is that a, a fair way to summarize it? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, the, the thing that stands out to me most is, is some of the board chairs that we reached out to said that they uh, 
weren't contacted at all uh, when they were those when the uh, uh, committee was making its initial recommendations. So they kind of broke into groups and made these initial recommendations and then had a public hearing a couple of weeks ago on those recommendations. But at least some of the boards um, received, were contacted and asked for feedback while they were formulating those recommendations. Um, they sent a, a Google form with a bunch of questions to some of the boards, but then others that um, we talked to, yeah, said that they didn't hear get any email, no phone call, they didn't, none of the members got any contact. And then they just, you know, found out um, last month that they were slated for elimination. But yeah, that, that's, I think, the, the one of the most interesting parts. Yeah. So check that one out. And then the other one, and I just came uh, to this um, podcast from a, the most recent meeting of the Iowa Public Information Board, and, and they have been discussing um, possible proposed legislation that would address what they're, the legal term they're using is vexatious requesters. And basically what they're trying to address here is people that just make an, an absolute gigantic number of public records requests, and they're not um, and again, the spirit, the intention of what the board says it's trying to address is the people who are doing that disingenuously, not just doing it to harass the government body or, or a person within the government body. They, they don't actually want the public records or care about the public records. They're just doing it uh, to be a thorn in the side. Um, and, and apparently some of them include harassing and, and abusive language, et cetera, et cetera. So the, 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 but what makes it interesting is that the initial proposal that would was put forth would enable a government agency to petition the state public information board and um and and have a, an individual labeled a vexatious requester and then that would enable the board to say um for a, a, a x number of weeks months up to a year you no longer have to respond to this individual's public records requests um look <laughs> as Go go ahead, Todd. Yeah, let me. Well, I was just I gonna, better, before I get myself in trouble. I'll I was to just going to say the the fact that the Iowa Public Information Board is putting forth legislation that would place limits on people's access to public information tells you all you need to know about that board and how much of a disappointment has been since it was created. I mean, there were high hopes that we'd have this board and they would they would help Iowans solve open records and open meetings problems without having to go to court. But uh, it's, it just really, it just really hasn't lived up to its billing. It's, 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 it's not what it was supposed to be. Yeah. Aaron, to that, the, sorry, go ahead, Jared. The, the fortunate thing is that no important reporting ever comes from uh, information requests. Yeah, so no, there's, no, no. What, there's, there's nothing got? to worry about at all, at all. And, it, and when it does come, Jared, it only comes from the person who just asked for like one or two emails, right? It's never, from the oh, yeah. person yep. who asked for scores and scores and scores of material. It's also from those real simple uh, 15 minute requests. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I, well, we'll leave, I, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I do understand that like this stuff does take time sometimes, but now that more than ever things are in email and everything like that, like it is, it's not as hard as it might've been in past years to, to get to some of this stuff. And, and I don't doubt for a second that there are people abusing it and, and harassing. Look, I, I'm a political reporter with an inbox, okay? I know how uh, people get. I don't doubt the claims that some sheriffs, for example, are making about uh, about the kind of requests that they're getting. Um, it, it, it's just if you, if you care about open government at all, uh, I really have a hard time seeing how you're not alarmed by a proposal that allows a government to decide to stop 
honoring open records request. Well, you know, they'll they'll either label you a vexatious requester or they'll try to charge you $5,000 for the records. Uh, It's just, you know, and I I can't conjure up a lot of sympathy for the work for the, you know, the, the inconvenience of people who make their living off other people's taxes. So, you know, I, I understand that some people are jerks, but there's no reason for this law. If they're harassing or abusing, there's laws on the books for that. Yeah. And, and if it's excessive, you can charge for the, to your point, that is being abused too. But if that's a genuine thing, you can say you're going to charge and and that can be a deterrent. Uh, These points have all been raised among some of the board members um, um, uh, during this discussion. So um, the latest is that was, discussion was kind of sent back down to the committee level within the board and they want to get more information and hear from more um, people on it. Um, but, but it's not going away either. So it's uh, something we will keep an eye on and perhaps spend more on time on in a future. Edition One question I have. Sorry. Super before quick. I sign off, go ahead, if we go. can, if we can, that's this quick, Please. you know, um, if the, 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 part, the parts at least pertaining to, you know, if a, if a request is just too broad or too, too many requests, like, I, I wonder if that would, if it does continue in that form, like that would, come to a court challenge and like we've seen the iowa supreme court pretty generous on the side of open records you know would that pass the the iowa supreme courts i mean because the law says you know a government agency has to provide these records it doesn't say only if it's a small amount exactly yeah yeah yep and that's 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 a point that um i can't remember who made it if it was randy evans from the freedom information council who made it in his he wrote a letter to the board about this um or if it was someone else so forgive me but that was a point that someone made and uh, talking about like you, you, this may be unconstitutional. Um, uh, and, and because of, uh, that exact phrasing you're talking to talking about, um, definitely worth keeping an eye on and you can bet we will Sarah ruined my segue. Caleb ruined my sign off. I'm just going to go to it. You listened, <laughs> you liked it. Uh, sign, sign up to the newsletter. Well, uh, I won't, and, and I won't ask for online. the, I won't ask for the person. The point of personal privilege I was going to ask for. So I, I'm sorry. We've already gaveled out. Uh, to, <laughs> Todd, you've missed your time. Um, <laughs> hey, Leo is going to play us out this week. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, if you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the show, send us a sound file. For the whole gang, Tom Barton, Caleb McCullough, Sarah Watson, Jared McNett, Todd Dorman, and our producer, Stephen Colbert, I'm Ian Murphy. Thank you all for listening. Along the side of the bow, lucky waves, we live out in the clouds who stir and spill on the wind, whipped moon like a cuticle rune, filed away and never by the wind in her swoon for her blue barren womb every kiss was her wish for rain but the rain would go mad become snow with a laugh a long long island sound where the icebergs conspire just like barbs 
on a wire a long long island a long long island a long long island sound do i bring out the worst in the oceans why do the waves spell out your name long long island a long long island a long long island sound and our cats will escape they will go look for their mates a long long island sound where the skies are all scraped by our empire state a long long island a long long island a long long island sound Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.